Firstly, I'd like to thank uh, the Sydney Swans and the SCG and uh, also Hawthorne, who uh, hopefully will be on the receiving end of a bit of a loss on the weekend, uh, for this contribution to support our farmers. It's a great uh, opportunity for Sydney Siders to come to the game, uh, learn a little bit more about what we're doing uh, in terms of supporting the bush and uh, help raise some money to buy some more hay for our farmers. 100% uh, of New South Wales is drought affected. Uh, there are literally thousands of families out there who don't have enough hay uh, or in some cases enough groceries to feed themselves. So there is a real crisis here in New South Wales and uh, in the next six to eight weeks if we don't get rain it's going to become a national crisis for our economy. So thank you to the, the Swans and the SCG Trust for, uh, for this game. It'd be great. Thanks Charles. Yeah, it's good to be a part of it. It's, um uh, I come from uh, the country and I've still got family on the farm down country New South Wales and spend um, all my holidays down there with the kids and um, it is a really dry time. It's, um, it is a crisis at the moment and whether you've got uh, animals with livestock or you've got um, crops like we have, uh, some dire straits down there and it's good that um, we can contribute in some small way and um, Alistair Clarkson being a country boy as well from Caniver, it's great to have the two clubs um, being involved in this important issue and, and hopefully we can help not only the farmers but the local communities mm. down there as well and the towns that also suffer. So a big issue and something that we're really proud to be supporting. You are listening to the Swanscast Extra, the number one Sydney Swans fans weekend preview podcast. It's the final round of the season and there's just one more match to play. In this week's episode, I will preview the Swans blockbuster round 23 match against the Hawks at the SCG on Saturday night. I'll discuss the selections, what I'm looking forward to, matchups and key points, give the weekend forecast and take your questions, comments and predictions and key points from social media. This is your host, Justin Mitchell, and tonight it's just me, I'm flying solo. On tonight's agenda, we've got Heath Grundy makes his return to AFL. Shane Biggs, he retires. Footy for the drought relief, both the Swans and Hawks are supporting it. And also the AFL floats a radical draft change. Hopefully it never comes through. So straight off, we'll go into Heath Grundy. So Heath Grundy, he's been out since round 19. He finally makes his return to the side. Now he played the Neeful game on the weekend and he was definitely one of the best players. It is really good to see him come back. And he will no doubt make an important contribution to the team and it will certainly help the team make the finals. There has been a lot of speculation about his future with the Swans and I for one hope that he keeps on playing for at least one maybe two more seasons that would be really good and I know that there's a lot of people out there that would love to see him make at least 300 games but for the old rookie who came in as basically a full forward and kicked I think it was four goals in debut to make 250 games and I think he's done very well for himself and hopefully he has uh, sort of recovered a bit from his um, issues and hopefully it won't affect him too much on the football field on the weekend and it is an absolutely massive match so all the best to Heath and definitely all the all the best to the side as well now Shane Biggs former Sydney defender he has announced his retirement from the game he's 27 years old he is a 2016 premiership player for the dogs and unfortunately he was the uh, one who kicked them seven points up with just over six minutes left in the match and that was from one of those uh, forward line scrambles when we just couldn't get out of the back line he played 63 games all up six of those for Sydney so that's 57 for the Bulldogs and all the best to him um, he did make himself a decent career after sort of looking on the edge there for a while at the Swans and he did actually play in that uh, final against Fremantle as well so that was uh, in 2013 I believe so good for him and I think he's made himself a good career 
Now on to 44 Drought Relief. So both clubs are actively supporting this. It is a very good cause for the farmers who are currently going through a massive drought in New South Wales. There is a lot of money that is already donated and there's certainly going to be a lot more money that will go into it. So the Sydney Swans Foundation has already donated $10,000. The SCG Trust will donate $1 for every supporter that attends Saturday night's AFL and NRL matches in the uh, the precinct where the SCG and Allianz Stadium is. If you donate money, $20 buys a farmer a bale of hay. $52.50, that's $52.50, will buy them an essential hamper. And $250 donation will buy them at least 11,500 litres of water. So get behind it as much as you can. It is a worthwhile cause. And for those who love to eat food and really don't want to starve, we need to give our farmers all the help that we can. So the Swans and the Hawks, they're right behind it. The Swans did a promo for it uh, two days ago, two, three days ago, and the Hawks have also done a promo for it, and they have talked it up on um, all the different football shows on Foxtel over the week, and Gunston also mentioned it last night. It is posted on Facebook, the video that he was on, and he did mention the footy for drought relief. So it's a really worthwhile cause, and it's really good that the clubs are both getting behind it. So hopefully we help our farmers out there. Now, the last one at the top of the agenda, this is a bit of a weird one because it actually came out just before, like a couple of hours ago. So I'm not quite sure if the AFL is actually planning on implementing this for this um, draft. It would be absolutely insane if they do. Basically, 6.30 reported by Jake Neal. Uh, so the AFL is looking to shake up essentially the first 28 picks, up to the first 28 picks of the draft. So they've got two options that they've tabled. Option one is picks 1 to 10 in usual order. Then the following picks 11 to 22 alternate between top eight teams and bottom 10 teams. So pick 11 goes to eighth, pick 12 goes to 18th. And then picks 23 to 26 go to the teams who finished 12th, 11th, 10th, 9th. And then picks 27 and 28 go to the grand finalists. This order continues for the rest of the draft. Picks 21 and 28 go to finalists. Order remains same for the remainder of the draft. So at the moment, if you're a grand finalist and there are no priority picks and there are no compensation picks in the first round, you're essentially looking at picks Picks usually 18, 18 and 19 or usually the pick range between 18 and 21, depending on obviously trades and, and whatnot. It, what this is suggesting is that uh, grand finalists will get picks oh, almost at the what you call the middle of the second round in the current structure, which is punishing. It is punitive. It is unbelievable. I honestly hope that option never comes in. I don't even think the draft needs to be changed, to be honest. It's pretty ridiculous. Option two, picks one to ten in usual order. Picks 11 to 20 go to non-finalists reverse ladder order again. Uh, and then, obviously, 21 through 28 go to the finalists. So that is absolutely insane. Um, now, the AFL are saying that it's not likely to be introduced this year, thankfully. It's unlikely for 2019, um, mostly because of the future pick trading, because they introduced that um, recently, and obviously clubs have traded out, Geelong in particular, have traded out for future picks in 2019. But that would gift clubs who are sitting at the bottom of the ladder. We're looking at you, Carlton, because you're at the moment, you're perennial at the bottom. You're going to get the spoon this year, uh, and there's no avoiding it, and probably going to get the spoon again next year. And it really punishes clubs who 
are finalists, but not might not be grand finalists. Um, you, you're certainly looking at teams like uh, your Melbournes, your GWS. Well, I mean, GWS is a really bad example, but potentially Hawthorne, they might slip. Uh, Geelong, if they make it, or Port Adelaide, those sort of teams really get sort of punished on this one. So it's a really, really massive change. Uh, AFL 360, I don't know if they had enough time to discuss it. The, when I was watching it, they certainly didn't seem to be discussing it. Uh, but this is just one sort of model. They do have another note here at the bottom, though. Uh, and what I will do um, is it's on the age. So if you go to theage.com.au uh, and then you just look for AFL Float's Radical Draft Changes, you will find the article. Uh, and I'll just quote this part here in the article for, about the Academy and Father-Son bidding. So Jake writes, The Academy and Father-Son bidding is another complication given that it involves points which are used to move selections down the order. There is also an argument that the academies and next-generation academies have compromised the draft already and given some lower teams less access to players. Uh, that is basically pointing a stick at Sydney and GWS, who have made some really good players out of their academy, uh, Heaney and Callum Mills uh, from the Swans, and oh, I don't know, about a dozen or more from, from the Giants. So it, it's punitive, as I said, punitive. I think it's pretty inappropriate to be honest and i honestly hope that the that the league never introduces it because it's going to be absolutely crazy and i think a lot of teams are going to be massively put out by it so yeah never never change afl uh never change anything so that's top of the agenda so the team changes for this weekend's match against the hawks on saturday night at the scg we got one in, Heath Grundy. It is a great return to the team. We've commented on that before as well. Now, the player making way for him is Robbie Fox, who has been omitted. Now, obviously, for the Hawks, they are a little bit skinny on key player position depth um, in the fence. James Sicily, who is still out, and James Frawley, who was concussed last week, he is still out of the side, so he's an out for the Hawks. Jared Roughhead is in the side. Uh, but other than that, those are the changes. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of discussion about Parker and Franklin during the week. Uh, footy classified. We had Caroline Wilson, um, Matt, Matt Lloyd, and um, Baldy, I can't remember his name, basically categorically declaring that Franklin will be ruled out within 24 hours and then suggesting that Luke Parker had done a hamstring. Uh, which was quite funny because one of the people on social media wondered if they got confused with Nick Smith, who did his hamstring uh, a week earlier. You never really know uh, because sometimes they are incomprehensible. At least uh, AFL 360 was, were a little bit more measured in their discussion and said, no, oh, we'll see what happens. He may or may not train. They didn't say definitively. But the good news is he trained, he's named. So for all intents and purposes, he is going to play which is a massive in for us, given the fact that he is third on the common medal, three behind Jack Rewalt and one behind Ben Brown. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting finish to the season, not just for the Swans, but for the latter, the Coleman, and a bunch of other um, aspects as well. And I'll get into that a little bit later on. Now, speaking of the match itself... Hawthorne and Sydney, they share a rivalry that's akin to the uh, Eagles and the Swans of the Noughties. Now, the Swans and, and Eagles, they played out, I believe it was six matches with, an, with a total winning margin of 13 points. They had 4-4, 1-1, 1-1, 1-1, 2-2, 2-2, 2-2. Two points or something like that. Something silly. 
and then now obviously the Swans and Eagles, they have as the Swans and Hawks rather, they have played in the finals since 2011. It was the Hawks who did the Swans in uh, in the semi-final, but obviously 2012, the Swans got the Hawks back. Uh, unfortunately, 2013 didn't go so well. Uh, let's just say 2014, uh, let's not talk about it. And we've managed to avoid them in the finals ever since. Now, obviously, 2016, uh, we played... Just having a quick look, we played GWS, we lost the first final, then we played Adelaide and Geelong, and unfortunately, Western Bulldogs. And last year, we played Essendon and Geelong. So, the Swans and the Hawks, they have quite a bit of history when it comes to end-of-season matches. We've played quite a few of them. Uh, 2012, in particular, was one year that we actually played Played them right at the close of the season. Um, I'm just having a quick look now. So, round 19 last year, we played them. Uh, round 17, 2016. Round 16, which isn't really end of the season, but we played them. Round 18, 2014. Round 23, 2013. Round 22, 2012. And round 19, 2010. So it has built up to be a really good modern-day rivalry between two really good teams. And last time they played, it was the Ben Ronk Show. Jack Neely, was he taken down? No. Handball out. I forgot all about Ronk. Forgot about his five goals. Now he's got six. Oh, that is special. Uh, have a look around, mate. This is the MCG, and you've just kicked seven goals against Hawthorne and the winner. That feels pretty good, mate. Oh, it's a dream come true to play on the G. I've been just kicking myself. I've been looking forward to this opportunity for so long. And to get a win like that with the boys fighting back, there's nothing better. Mate, do you know who the last player to kick seven uh, goals to the Swans? is pretty easy guess. Buddy. <laughs> Big Buddy. He's kicked seven a few times. Mate, you've joined a elite company. Have you always been a goal kicker? Um, oh, I try to base my game as much as I can on pressure and tackling. And if the goals come, it's a bonus. But... Um, yeah, as long as I've got that pressure there, that's sort of my main focus. Well, mate, you're the first player ever to kick seven goals and have ten tackles, so you based, based it on pressure, all right. What's it like to beat Hawthorne on the MCG? You had to kick the last three goals of the game to do it. They look like they're going to win. This is a big win on the road. Yeah, exactly. I guess we've always had sort of a rivalry with Hawthorne. We've got so much respect for them. They're a great side, and we knew that we had to be at our best and really play to our strength and get it to ground and make it a scrap. And credit to the boys, they did that, so... Now, obviously, the Swans were without Buddy, and at the time, the Swans were written off. No Buddy, no Swans. But they found a way, and they found it in a really good way. Ben Ronk was playing just his third career game at the time. He kicked a couple of goals against Geelong, and he looked like a pretty decent player, and obviously, we beat Geelong away without Franklin as well. And then he just went bang. Four first-quarter goals, an amazing performance capped off with two wonderful goals in the second half, one where he just managed to evade three tacklers in the almost the goal square and kicked the goal that got us right back in there after trailing by 11 points at three-quarter time. So, look, the, um, the Swans, they won that match. It was a highly entertaining match, but it was a shootout. So Ronk kicked seven, Haywood kicked three, and at the other end... 
we had Gunston who kicked five and Bruce kicked three. So it was a pretty entertaining game and both sides only had three or four goal kickers each. Uh, Sinclair, he dominated in the ruck, finished with 41 hitouts to McAvoy's 36, despite the fact McAvoy kind of got him on possessions. But both players were pretty important to both sides and Sinclair was definitely one of the best players for the Swans on the day. Now, Ronk definitely should get the three Brownlow votes for that match. Uh, we couldn't gush about him enough in the podcast afterwards. So you can always just go back a couple months and listen to us chat about Ben Ronk and just how awesome he is. Now, the teams themselves, we had to kind of look at the, the stats and we split them up since 2014, well, really the start of 2015. So the Hawks, they lead the head-to-head four games to three. The last four games have been five points, six points, six points, and eight points. Now, the Swans, they won that game, the last one by eight points. The other three have been Hawthorne wins. Franklin, um, he last kicked five goals in round 10, 2017. That was at the SCG, the Indigenous round game. So there is... A bit of precedent for him to come in and just go bang. Now, for him to win the common medal, he's going to have to kick a few more goals than five. I would have to say at least seven or eight, considering Richmond's going to give it to Rewalt almost every possibility that they get. Now, at the SCG, it is an entirely different matter altogether. The Swans and the Hawks, since 2010, have played there five times, and unfortunately, the Hawks lead the head-to-head four to one. There has been three games at Stadium Australia. There was that game that Franklin won with his two goals seven, but the other two have been losses to the Hawks. There was, of course, that 89-point loss, which was a bit of a shock back in 2015 when everything that could go wrong went wrong. Now, the last time that the Swans won at the SCG was eight years ago. It was when Ryan O'Keefe kicked four goals and Trent Dennis Lane kicked three goals. We won that game by 44 points. That was at the end of the season as well. That was round 19, 2010. That's how long ago it is since we last won at the SCG. Now, obviously, the next game at the SCG, 2011, which was round nine, the Hawks won by practically the same margin. And ever since then, they have beaten us by seven points, uh, five points and six points. So... Hawks, over recent times, they definitely hold a strong head-to-head record against us, um, especially at the Swans' home ground. So it's going to have to be a, a bit of a lift in performance for the Swans to get over the line. You look at last year when they played at the SCG, uh, it was really Buddy Franklin who gave the Swans a, a bit of a sniff at all with his first-half performance, which was phenomenal. Uh, he won, well, he was best on equal best on ground that day with Sean Burgoyne, and he got the three Brownlow votes that match as well, well-deserved uh, at the time. So look, it's um, it's an ominous record that the Hawks have, and the Swans are definitely going to have to lift a bit if they want to if they want to get back into it and sort of um, even up the ledger in the head-to-head and try and get back on it. Now, a couple of uh, head-to-head sort of stats over the season. We've got uh, Franklin, who is third in the Coleman medal race with 57 goals. Luke Bruce, his fifth with 52 goals, and they're both trailing Rewalt, who's first with 60 goals. Hawthorne average the fourth most kicks per game with 220.6. The Swans are 10th with 210.6. So that kind of goes back to that Hawthorne um, kicking style and controlling through short passes and a lot of uncontested possessions. The Hawthorne also have the best disposal efficiency in the league with 74.4%, while the Swans are 10th with 72.1%. Although the Swans have really picked that up in recent time as well. They really struggled there for a long time, and when they were losing four out of five matches, their disposal efficiency, along with every other indicator, was 
bottom four, if not bottom two. So they've really picked that up and they've beaten th- three top four teams at the time to in their three match win streak. So it's been a really impressive turnaround. Now, the Hawks, they have the fourth most uncontested possessions, 240.9 per game, while the Swans are 13th through 224.6, which also backs up that the Hawthorne, they really like to control it and they just go chip, chip, chip. Uh, the Hawthorne, they average 6.3 more marks per game, while the Swans, they average 2.4 more contested marks, 6.7 more contested possessions, more, one more clearance, 4.3 more tackles. The Hawks, rather, average 4.3 more tackles, and the Hawks have kicked 20 more goals for the season. So, I mean, it, it's kind of, there's a bit of balance, but Hawks obviously love that uncontested style of play, while the Swans are more contested style. But this season, certainly compared to previous seasons, especially last year, the stats are much more close than they were. Um, Considering last year, they're almost at polar opposites. Um, Now, it's going to be a really, really tough contested game. Um, One would hope as a Swan supporter, because that is the Swan style. Whereas for the Hawks, they really want to get it on the outside and control on the outside. Uh, It's going to be, it is going to be a tight game. It's going to be contested. Um, There's going to be a bit of action and hopefully it's going to be a bit more high scoring than the uh, 60-70 sort of scores that were seen in our last couple of matches. Now, on to our matchups and we did get some matchups, some suggested matchups from social media. So Amy from Facebook, she wrote that Tom Mitchell versus George Hewitt is the matchup she wants to see. And she said, let's face it, Tommy is the key to the Hawks. Generally, when he's up and going, the Hawks win. Very true, 100%. And, and pretty much all of the people from social media said Hewitt on Mitchell. So Jonathan from Twitter, he's got Hewitt on Mitchell. Ashley from Facebook, she's got Tom Mitchell and George Hewitt. Reasoning for this is when Mitchell has been tagged, shadowed in games this year, and hasn't had his influential mountain of disposals, Hawthorne are lost. Last time we played them this year, Mitchell had 20 disposals and George Hewitt had 23. For us to win, we need to shut Mitchell down. 100% agree. The only problem is if Hawthorne decide to do what GWS did last week and they actually tag George Hewitt. So up to halftime, George Hewitt had eight disposals. Uh, Three-quarter time, I think he had about 11 or 12. So he had a really, really poor game from his standards uh, as far as disposals go. Uh, he did get a fair bit of it in the last quarter, um, just like the week previous when Clayton Oliver was shut down, but then he got off the chain big time in the last quarter and just had a massive quarter. Penny from Facebook, she says, Grundy against Ruffhead, yeah, totally agree, or Rampy against Gunston, or will Stratton go to Franklin? That would be an entertaining battle. Stratton, Ben Stratton on Lance Franklin. I would be pretty happy with that because Franklin should kill him, but it would be entertaining, especially with that shocking mullet. Uh, so, yeah, some really good matchups. Um, we we definitely definitely had some of those as well. Now, some of the key matchups, obviously, for the match to go in the Swans' favour. Uh, we are looking at Callum Sinclair versus Ben McAvoy. So, big Ben McAvoy, he has had a pretty good season again. He is a big, strong, sort of lumbering ruckman who can get forward, kick a goal, and take a good contested mark. Last time they played, Sinclair definitely got the better of him. He had a lot more hitouts, uh, slightly less disposals, but arguably more influence. Now, for the season, McAvoy, he averages 29.5 hitouts a game, 12 possessions, and he's kicked six goals, while Sinclair averages 28.9 hitouts, 15 possessions, and he's kicked 11 
goals. So it's going to be a really big match, uh, well, big matchup for those two in particular. So we've talked about Callum Sinclair as a key matchup almost every week, uh, especially over the last three when he's come up against two really, really good Ruckman, elite Ruckman, essentially the two best Ruckman in the league. Uh, and then he's had a bit of respite against a player like Lobb from GWS, which he did beat. I, I would say he beat him. And at times it looked like a pretty convincing margin between the two Ruckman as well. Uh, Dane Rampey on Jack Gunston. Now, this is a big matchup. Uh, Gunston's been in really good form. He's kicked 40-odd goals this year. He can play forward and he can play back. And last week against the Saints, he went back, he shored it up, and he made sure the Hawks won. Uh, he played a really influential role in those last couple of minutes. Uh, he's going to be motivated. He recently signed a contract extension, so there is reasons for him to be motivated. Uh, and we really need Dane Rampey firing in all cylinders for this one because Jack Gunston, he is a bit of a gun. He's got a gun in his name, and he lives up to it, and he can be a really good influential player. And let's face it, if he kicks straight, when we played him earlier this year, that result would have been different because he kicked a like, four behinds in the last quarter and one goal. So he was very wasteful, and he kicked five for the match. So he kicked a bag. Kick the buddy bag. That's what he got. Uh, we couldn't really figure out who to go on to Luke Bruce. So we've got Jake Lloyd, Zach Jones, and Jack McVeigh, who will no doubt share the responsibility throughout the match. It is very important they don't let him get off the chain because when he has, he's been kicking like it's been 2012. He has been absolutely fantastic. So it's obviously critical that the Swans do all that they possibly can to stop him. Um, we're looking at like uh, Jack Lloyd. He's not a big tackler, but he does have good pressure. Same with Jack McVeigh. I think the um, the most obvious matchup there is going to have to be Zach Jones. They could also switch Dane Rampey onto him when he plays deep and then sort of shift around Aaliyah, Aaliyah and, and Heath Grundy because Heath Grundy is back in and Jared Ruffhead's in. So obviously you got that matchup there, which is going to be important. So it's really going to, I, I guess, determine, mix and match as the game wears on. The one you really don't want is someone like a Jake Lloyd on a Jack Constant because he's going to get beaten 10 times out of 10. So it's really important that we get that those two matchups right. Another one, the Hawks love to use him. Obviously, he's been captain a couple of times this season. It's going to be Harry Cunningham taking on Isaac Smith. Now, Cunningham has done a pretty good role on him before, especially earlier this year when we beat the Hawks. Isaac Smith was playing a pretty good game, but Cunningham went to him and shut him down. And he's done that on a couple of other occasions before as well. So we really need Cunningham to bring that fierceness that he can do with his tackling and his harrying. We really need that. Otherwise, if Isaac Smith can get off the chain, he's a proven goal kicker. He's a very good winger. He can impact the match and he can turn it. So he is a really important matchup for both sides, especially for the Swans. And obviously, George Hewitt versus Tom Mitchell, I don't think I need to say anymore. But Tom Mitchell, he hasn't had the uh, easy one too, so it's getting early this season when he was racking up 54 disposals. I don't think that's going to happen. But if we let him get the ball and we let him win the ball and we let him hit targets, he will turn the match 100%. Um, he's always had a knock on him for his disposal. And uh, as soon as he goes inside 50, he's blinkers. But if he gets a lot of the ball, he will do a lot of damage. So it's really important that we stop him. Now it's time to look at some key points for the match ahead. Now we've looked at social media and we've asked the question, what do you guys think? And we've got a couple of responses. So Jonathan from Twitter, he says, Ronk and Papley need to combine for five plus goals. Couldn't agree more. We've even got that in for one of our, one of our key points as well. 
Ashley from Facebook, she says, we need to win the clearances. Even with Grundy in, we can't be constantly hammered with immense forward 50 entries. This to me comes down to the clearances and playing hardball in the center of the ground. 100% agree, and we even comment on that ourselves. And Daniel from Twitter, he says, lower the eyes again, look for multiple options, look for people other than Bud. 100%. Basically, everyone has sort of mirrored what we've already said in our key points. We've said the Swans can't be Buddy-centrics. Hawks will set up for that and bounce off easily. They've done it before. Every time Buddy has played against the Hawks, he's demanded the ball, and the Swans midfield has given him the ball almost every single chance that they've got. So it's really important that the Swans... Go back to how they played earlier this season when they had away wins against the Cats and the Hawks and they really look for other targets. Because you look at players like Will Hayward, he had a great game. Ben Ronk kicked nine goals against those two. Nine goals. Robbie Fox, who was an out, he was one of those who initiated that big comeback with the big specky in the forward sort of uh, pocket there in the last quarter. And also Callum Sinclair and Josh Kennedy, they both combined in both of those games to guide this one's home. Now, Frawley and Sicily, uh, they are out for the Hawks. Frawley didn't come back in from concussion. Sicily's been out for a while, and they are big outs because they do provide really good depth options, but Sicily has been an excellent rebounder for them this year. So the Swans need to take full advantage of that. That doesn't mean bombing in high, bombing in long, because we don't have a forward to take advantage of those sort of kicks. But what it does mean is we can get it inside 50, lock it inside 50, and keep the pressure up there, and they'll have a little bit more difficulty getting it out. They also won't be able to use it off the back line as well. Now, obviously, as Ashley touched on before, we have to win the ball in the midfield to beat the Hawks. The last couple of times that we've lost to them, they've played keep things off. That, that's it. They've got the ball. They have held on to it in the uh, sort of the back flanks, and then they've finally gone down the wing and got it into forward 50 into scoring positions. They even tried to do that against us earlier this year. Fortunately, the Swans, they sort of uh, figured that out. They figured out a way around it, and then they got back into the game and they turned it around and they won in the last quarter. Now, obviously, they cannot bomb it deep into the forward line because the Hawks, despite the fact they're missing two two tall defenders, they will still get it out of the out of the back line pretty easily because, as I said before, the Swans, they really don't have a tall option. Other than Callum Sinclair, we haven't brought in someone like Darcy Cameron to sort of fill in. So it's going to be a really interesting match from a, from a Swans perspective on how the forward line set up and how that all works, and whether or not we go to leading players. And it's pretty much the story of every single week, every single round, is how will this one's actually set up. It's been one of the most uh, frequently brought up criticisms for about, I don't know, the last, trying to think back to, four or five years now is how the Swans forward line will function. You can go all the way back to Tippett when we first got him in 2013, even 2012, even 2011 when we're talking, when we had LRT, we had Sam Reid. Uh, we didn't really have too many other options. Adam Goods was playing centre-half forward as well. And Mitch Morton was kind of coming in every now and again. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Swans forward line will work. If it clicks, they're going to win. If it doesn't, and they might not win. <laughs> so, so it's really important that we actually get it clicking on the weekend. Now, time for predictions. So we do have some more predictions from social media. It's been really good that people have engaged with me tonight. It's been absolutely fantastic. Now, Jonathan from Twitter, he predicts the Swans by eight points. Jeez, I hope they win. Now, Ashley from Facebook has said, and she prefaces this with a bit of a statement first. She says, I don't want this to happen, but I think we will lose a key player or two to injury during the game. Our games against the Hawks are always very hard physical matches, and this one won't be an exception. 
with the top four on the line. She's got a really good point. Uh, last year, obviously, Jake Lloyd was knocked out in the first, literally the first contest in the forward line within about 10 seconds of the match start. That was round 10. Uh, and then round, I believe it was 18 later in the season, we had uh, Jake Lloyd out, uh, Gary Rowan out, uh, and I think we did cop another injury during the match as well. So uh, we did have uh, a lot of injuries for those Hawks matches, and traditionally we've also experienced injuries against them. Daniel from Twitter. He predicts wet weather football. Please no. And he says us once by seven points. Yeah. Agree with the Swans tip. Uh, hopefully it's not going to be wet weather. It is not going to suit any team's football. Actually might level the playing field because the Hawks might find it a bit more difficult to play that uh, sort of tempo uh, controlled style of game. So you, n- you never know, but obviously it's going to lend the Swans towards just bombing it in the forward line and the score is probably going to be like 50 to 60. So it's not going to be an attractive game of football. Now, my predictions for the weekend ahead I am predicting that Lance Franklin will kick seven goals and win the Coleman medal. Yes, if he does that, booyah. Second year in a row he comes from behind. That would be an absolutely sensational finish to the season for him. Playing literally on one leg, one foot the entire season. Imagine if he was fully fit. He would have absolutely killed it this season. And Ben Ronk will recapture his Hawthorne magic and kick at least three goals. That would be sensational if he does. Because he has kicked seven goals and five goals already this season. And he has kicked a couple of smaller bags as well. So if he can get some goals, that's going to be fantastic. Now, for the weekend forecast ahead, now we do three things. We've got our sure thing, our most at stake, and doomsday scenario. Now, obviously, the doomsday scenario, people probably go, oh, why don't you say injuries? No, never want to sort of jinx that. Never, ever, ever. So, sure thing for this week. I've got Brisbane and Fremantle will put up a fight in the final round. Brisbane were so close. They could have won, but they didn't. Fremantle were just oh, diabolical. There is, I can't even think of a, a word to adequately describe how bad they were. They were Geelong against Sydney bad. They were Sydney against Hawthorne bad when they lost by 89 points. They were Richmond against Sydney bad when they were down by almost 140 points and looking like an AFL record at one point. So I think they will put up a fight. Uh, Brisbane is a very good chance to win. Fremantle, I don't think they'll win, but if they do... Leads us into the most at stake, Collingwood. Because if they lose and Sydney and Melbourne win, they will slip out of the top four. They will slip as far as sixth place. Now, it's it's really important they win. Uh, It's really important that Sydney wins in particular because the top four is on the line and Melbourne, well, they're already in, but they will still want to win against GWS. And GWS, they want to win because it gives them an opportunity to slip back up at least fifth if they win because they will jump either the Hawks or Swans on points. So it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting final round. Uh, and doomsday scenario. Uh, this isn't for the Swans, obviously, because we're already in the finals. But for the two teams who are still on the cusp of finals, the Cats lose to the Suns and Port Adelaide make the finals. I think with everything that has happened, all the commentary, all the pro Geelong on uh, on basically Fox are going, oh, we're in the finals, we're in the finals. How, how great is that? How great is that? And all the just the negative commentary, uh, especially from um, Robbo from the Herald Sun, how he's been slamming and slagging off Port Adelaide for the last week, and are oh, they not good? They're not this, blah, 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 blah. If... The Cats lose to the Suns and Port Adelaide win on Friday night. This would be the ultimate doomsday scenario for Fox Woody, 
for the cats. It would be a a wet dream for literally everyone else who's watching because it would be so hilarious. So that would be the weekend forecast. If I could have a hilarious scenario, it would be Cats Lose Port Adelaide, but this is doomsday for the cats. Uh, as far as the swans go, doomsday, obviously, I'm not going to touch on the topic because I already said before, there really isn't that much else because we're in the finals. Yes, 15 out of 16 seasons. And uh, hopefully we do beat the Hawks because it is top four on the line. I didn't touch on it earlier, but the ladder predictor, the Oracle, it has spoken. So what could actually happen if the Swans win and the Eagles lose? There is a scenario where obviously Collingwood touched on it before they can slide as far as sixth, but the Eagles can also drop as out of the top two and they can lose their home final advantage if Collingwood wins and Sydney wins, and the Eagles lose. So it's it's going to be really really interesting final round of football because the Swans can they they can finish either third or they can finish fourth. So it's nothing. The only position that is set is first. That's it. Second through the eighth is still up for grabs, and there's teams outside of the top eight who can still get in. Uh, Essendon and North Melbourne are pretty much out of the finals. It's just down to Port Adelaide and and Geelong for that last spot. So it's going to be really an entertaining final round of football, and I can't wait for it to start. I'm going to be watching almost every minute of it, except for the crap games, which I'm not sure people will watch, but for the really entertaining and risky matches, going to be watching them every single minute. Well, thank you for joining me tonight. It's just been me. It's been fun and a pleasure. As always, social media, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the tag, The Swans Blog. You can always get in contact with us during the week with the hashtags SwansCast and SwansCast Extra. Now, Sunday's show, we're going to record that in the morning. It's going to be 10.30 in the morning, so make sure you get your comments and questions to us by 10.30 in the morning. I will be joined by Heather Quinlan, and we will review the Swans match, win or lose. Uh, hopefully, it's a win. So, until Sunday... Ghost Wands.